The Jewish community of Babylon was one of the is one of the oldest Jewish communities in the world. Um, in fact, it was it is probably the oldest Jewish community outside of Israel, um, and perhaps equal to that of Egypt, and the longest lasting Jewish community um, outside of Israel. One of the longest lasting. Now, not only is it one of the oldest communities in Israel, in uh, one of the oldest Jewish communities outside of Israel. It also, for a large part of Jewish history, was the largest and dominant Jewish community in the world. Unfortunately, the community was mostly destroyed um, and almost everybody left in the early 1950s and then later following the Six-Day War. Today, there are possibly only a handful of Jews in what was once Babylon, and there's definitely no Jewish community to speak of. But there is a very important legacy, perhaps the greatest legacy that the Jewish community of Babylon has left us is the Babylonian Talmud, which is the most important and most comprehensive work of Judaism. You may have heard on the news, I know it was on, um, it was on, it was on in the news in a lot of places, that last Wednesday, um, 90,000 Jews gathered in MetLife Stadium in New Jersey um, to celebrate the Dafyomi, which is the completion of the Talmud, a cycle where one reads one page of the Talmud every day. It takes about seven and a half years to finish the 2,700 pages of Talmud. Um, and so it's quite an undertaking. Um, thousands, if not tens of thousands of Jews around the world do this um, regularly. And so uh, they celebrated its completion, but the Talmud remains the most important and comprehensive work of Judaism. Yes? Is uh, Babylon Baghdad? Is that- yes. Is yes, Baghdad? I'll talk about its geography in a moment. So where is Babylon? So Babylon is an area that the Romans called Mesopotamia, um, an area between uh, that covers the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. Modern-day Iraq, the most prominent city near Babylon, or Babylonia, as it was called then, is Baghdad. Baghdad wasn't around in the early days, um, but it follows along the Tigris and Euphrates River, um, the areas that today you hear a lot about in the news. Um, and uh, so those er- that is Babylon, and that was where the Jewish community was. Now, Jews first came to Babylon during what we call the Babylonian Exile. To give us a little background as to how Jews got to Babylon, according to our Jewish traditions, the independent state of Judah, of Yehuda, was led by King Yoshiahu, a descendant of King David. And it had been independent, it had been an independent state for close to 900 years since Joshua had entered the land, um, led by, uh, Joshua had entered the land after the death of Moses. And um, it had been under the house of the Davidic dynasty for some 400 years. And it now fell in about 443 BCE. It fell to Egyptian control. The Egyptians conquered the land of Israel, killing King Yoshiahu, King Josiah, the land or the, the state of the country of Judah, of Yehuda. The Egyptians put his um, son, whose name was Yehoiakim, Um, in place as a king, but a vassal king under Egyptian rule. That lasted for 11 years. Um, 11 years later, in 432 BC, according to our Jewish traditions, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquered Israel, capturing it from Egypt. He killed King Yehoiakim, 
who was a king under Egyptian rule, and he put his son Yechaniah, also known as Yehoiachin, as king briefly, only for a period of a couple months. He then changed his mind and put um, Yehoiakim's brother, another son of King Yehoshiah, whose name was Tzidkiyahu, as king, and he took Yehoiachin or Yechaniah with him back to Babylon. Together with Yechaniah, afraid that the Jews would rebel against him, he took all of the Jewish elite, all the elite of Israel, all the leading Kohanim, the leading priests, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council of Judaism, which had 71 senior members and 213 junior members, all the military leaders, all of the scholars, all of the professionals, all of the elite, all the aristocrats of Israel were all taken, tens of thousands of people were taken back with Nebuchadnezzar, were forced back to Babylon. This was part of a policy that the Babylonians had. They didn't have very good um, communication or roads that later other empires would build. The way they kept everybody in line was by taking all the elites um, or you're taking people and moving them around, moving them to Babylon and moving them to other places, and therefore people were no longer um, and essentially assimilating all the people into a single Babylonian Aramaic-speaking culture. So all these leaders, Yechaniah himself was placed in prison, while all the other leaders were allowed to freely live in Babylon. Babylon itself was a city, a large city, along the, on the Euphrates River um, that had been Nebuchadnezzar's capital. The Jews moved, most Jews at the time, most the leadership at the time, settled, they were allowed to settle anywhere in Babylonia, in Mesopotamia that they wanted. They just had to stay there. Um, and so most of the Jews settled around the town of Naharda'a. Naharda was a town on the Euphrates River, um, where the Euphrates River intersected with Nahar Malka. Nahar Malka was a river or a canal that led from a uh, that led from a lake or a dam nearby, and um, the Naharda um, was settled by Jews at the time, and over there they established a flourishing Jewish community in Naharda. And Naharda would remain the center of Judaism in Babylon for some 600 years. It was often referred to as Gola, or the exile, because it was the center of the exile, the center of Babylon. Naharda today is just west, a little further up the Euphrates River of modern-day Fallujah. And the Fallujah was in Naharda, was also often referred to as a region, the Naharda'a region. Um, ancient Naharda'a was on the ruins of a town that's now called Anbar, and um, it's just west of, very close to modern-day Fallujah. And the re- Fallujah would have been in the region known today as, uh, that was known then as Naharda'a. Meanwhile in Israel, Sidkiyahu, who um, was a, became a, the vassal king under Babylonian rule, he was king under Babylonian rule for eight years before Tzidkiyahu led a rebellion against King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar came, and as we mentioned on the 10th of Tevet, he laid siege to Jerusalem. And after a two and a half year siege, um, Jerusalem was breached. 
and the Babylonian armies entered Jerusalem. They killed King Zedekiahu. They destroyed the temple, and all of Israel, all, with only with leaving very few behind, almost all all the Jews in Israel were taken and force, forcibly moved to Babylon. When the Jews came to Babylon. Um, we don't have exact numbers, but probably numbering hundreds of thousands at the time. They discovered already a flourishing Jewish community that had been established by all the elite that had, and wealth, wealthy leaders and scholars that had come 11 years earlier. They had already settled in the Naharda'a region, um, and they welcomed their brothers and helped them settle in. Um, many Jews were wealthy and uh, established trading routes. Um, Babylon at the time was, at the, was the center of a trading route that led from China and India through to Greece. And so they established trading routes. They also bought up farming. They had been in agriculture in Israel. They brought, bought up farming land around Naharda'a in what became the Naharda'a region. Soon, Jews constituted a majority of the population in the Naharda'a region. So it became a very large area where Jews were the majority. The Jewish people that came from the came with the second exile, came from the, the exile, the structure of the temple, brought with them the stones of the temple that had been destroyed. And using those stones, they built a synagogue, the synagogue called Shaf Vyativ. Shaf Vyativ means he moved and he settled, um, that God's presence moved from Jerusalem and settled here in Naharda. And Shavia, the synagogue of Shaviyativ in Naharda, built out of the stones of the original temple, became a pilgrimage site. Jews would come from around Babylon to pray over there. And the synagogue of Shaviyativ lasted for over 600 years. So... Jews now, very Jews, some Jews lived in other areas. They spread out across Babylon and really across the Babylonian Empire, living in Syria, living in Egypt even, um, moving eastward to Persia, to Afghanistan, um, India. Jews spread across the Babylonian Empire, but the main Jewish community of the Babylonian Empire at the time was in Babylon around the Naharda'a region. Forty-four years after the first exile of Nebuchadnezzar, um, uh, after the first exile, King Nebuchadnezzar died. And after he died, his son, whose name was Evil Merodek, which was also the name of a Babylonian god, um, he becomes king. One of the first things Evil Merodek does when he becomes king is he freed a now elderly Yechania, the king, the only surviving king of Judea, who had been Exiled by, by Nebuchadnezzar 44 years earlier. He was still alive in prison. He was now much older. And Neville Merodech freed him. And not only did he free him, he appointed him as king over the Jews in Babylon. Or Resh Geluta. In English it's called Exilark. King of the exile. He became king over the Jews in Babylon. He was um, a prince, like any other Babylonian prince, with his own, he built his own, he was allowed to build his own militia, and he was given full control over an autonomous Jewish community in Babylon. And Jews now had full autonomy to manage their own affairs in the region that was mostly Jewish. Jews were entirely in control of that area with their own, with their own. Um, courts, their own rules, their own police. 
um, led by the Reish Geluta Yechania. After Yechania's death, his son Shealtiel then became the leader, and then that continued on to the grandson Zerubbabel, and then from generation to generation, it continued on within the family. The house of David continued to reign over Israel in Babylon, in, um, in, uh, centered around the town of Nahardaa, which became the capital of the Jewish region in Babylon. A couple years later, the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persians. The Persians allowed the role of the Reish Gelotah to continue, allowed the Jews to continue having autonomy in the land of Israel. Um, it then continued with the Greek conquest, as well as um, the different Persian empires that will later rule Babylon for the next thousand years. The role of the Reish Gelotah continued, um, continues with the Arab conquest in the mid-600s. The role of Goresh Gelotah Galuta continued, and it only came to an end in the ten hundreds. So it only came to an end in the ten hundreds, meaning the role of the Reish Galuta lasted for over fourteen hundred years. The prince of the king of their powers changed over time. Um, at times. They had greater powers at time, lesser powers, but the prince of the Jews or the king of the exile remained a hereditary position held by the house of David um, for 1,400 years, ending about 1,000 years ago. So with the conquest of the Babylonian Empire by Cyrus and of Persia and Darius the Mede, um, and when Cyrus rose to the throne of the Persian Empire, Cyrus gave permission for Jews to return and build the temple. At first, the Reish Gulotah at the time, whose name was Zerubbabel, and a grandson of the last Kohen, the last high priest um, in the temple, Yehoshua Kohen Gadol, led Jews back to um, Israel. Very few Jews, however, went. Not a lot of Jews wanted to go. Israel had been desolate for 70 years. Nobody had lived there, or for decades at least. It had, nobody had lived there. And um, it, was, it had fallen apart, um, and nobody was now a backwater a kind of corner of the Babylonian Empire. And so nobody wanted to go. Most Jews did not want to go back. They started building the temple. They ran into a lot of trouble. The building of the temple stopped. In fits and starts, it continued, um, and it took a couple decades till they built the temple. Later, um, the great leader Ezra, um, led a, the, who was the leader of the Sanhedrin, led the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council of Judaism, together with most of the Jewish scholarship and tens of thousands of Jews back to Israel and strengthened the Jewish community and moved the Jewish religious leadership from Babylon, moving the Jewish religious leadership from Babylon to the land of Israel. Ezra is really a subject of his own class. I should though mention that today, the eighth of the month of Tevet, is actually Ezra's yard site, the anniversary of Ezra's passing. So, um, so ten, tens of thousands of Jews do move to Israel um, in a, over a couple waves, um, following Persian permission to rebuild the temple. However, the majority of the Jewish community um, remained in Babylon, and Babylon remained the stronger Jewish community and the wealthy and um, settled Jewish community. 
And although over the next few hundred years, as um, the Jewish community in Israel gradually grew, eventually numbering at its, um, towards the end a couple million people, there were a couple million Jews in Israel, yet the, the Jewish community in Babylon always rivaled, if not was larger than the Jewish community in Israel, um, and the Jews over there were always much wealthier. They supported the temple and supported Jews in Israel, um, but the center of but the Babylonian community remained. Um, many Jews would go back and forth between Israel and Babylon, particularly when there was persecution in Israel at different times. Jews moved back to Babylon. Um, the sc- center of scholarship, though, after Ezra had moved from Babylon back to Israel, um, the center of scholarship was always in Israel. The great yeshivas, the great academies, the great schools, um, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council, was always in Israel throughout the Second Temple period. And so every budding young scholar from Babylon, though they did have yeshivas in Babylon, they were, any budding young scholar would move to Israel. And we know of many of the great scholars later in Israel were of Babylonian origin. Perhaps the most famous Babylonian scholar um, that to move to Israel was Hillel, Hillel Habavli, Hillel the Babylonian, who is a grandson of the Rej Galuta, a grandson of the Exilarch, of the um, prince of the Jews from the, house of, from the royal house of David. And um, he moved to Israel um, about the first, to, at the end of, um, right before the year zero, he moves to Israel, and eventually he becomes the Nasi, the president of the Sanhedrin, of the Supreme Council of Judaism, making him the leader, the religious leader of Jewish people at the time, and one of the most consequential ones. So moving forward in our history, in the year 70, the second temple was destroyed. Um, After a major rebellion against the Romans, there had been decades of persecution at the hands of the Romans, Um, there was a major rebellion, and the Romans captured Israel, destroyed the second temple, left um, much of Israel desolate, and killed as many as a million Jews. Many Jews at the time fled to Babylon. A couple decades later, in the 130s, there was a second rebellion um, led by Shimon Bar Koziba, sometimes called Bar Kochba, and um, this rebellion was even more brutally crushed, and um, the Romans Romans destroyed uh, much of Israel, killing again many Jews, and then started a period of persecution where Judaism became, uh, Jewish practice became illegal for a period in the Roman Empire. As a result, many, many Jews moved back to Babylon, again, changing, turning the tide from Israel being the dominant community to now Babylon becoming the more dominant community. Um, The religious leadership still remained in Israel. However, starting in the early 200s, Roman persecution in Israel, especially as Christianity was now growing, um, in 300, um, the... Rome will convert to Christianity. So in the early 200s, Roman persecution in Israel led to very large numbers of Jews fleeing to Babylon. Among them, some of the greatest Jewish scholars in Israel fled to Babylon. Two scholars, Shmuel and Karna, two of the greatest scholars in Israel at the time, moved to Naharda'a, which was the capital of Jewish life in Babylon, and over there, they were appointed as the Rosh Yeshiva. The Rosh Yeshiva are the 
um, leaders of the yeshiva, of the academy, um, of the ancient yeshiva of Nahardaa that had stood since the early days of Israel's exile. They had a continuous yeshiva in Nahardaa. Shmuel and Karna were appointed as the leaders of this academy. Not long afterwards, Abba Arika, who was better known as Rav, um, who the most prominent scholar of his day, moved, fled from Israel also and came to Babylon. Um, he went to another Jewish community further down the Euphrates River called Sura. And over there he established a yeshiva. Many students from all over flocked to Sura to study with Rav. And soon the yeshiva at Sura be- eclipsed or became greater than the historic yeshiva of Naharda'a. To get now Babylon became the center of Jewish life with these two great yeshivas of Naharda and Sura became the center of Jewish life and Jewish scholarship. Now scholars, young scholars from Babylon no longer went to Israel to study. They would, had great schools in Babylon. In fact, Jews from around the world that until then would travel to Israel to study, now were mostly traveling to Babylon where the great schools were. The schools in the, Israel continued to have scholars and the Sanhedrin Supreme Council um, for another hundred years or so. And then in the early 300s, the yeshiva, final yeshiva in Israel and the final and the Supreme Council was disbanded due to persecution, due to Roman persecution. And at this point, the um, Babylon became the undisputed center of world jury, the center of scholarship. There was no, the Supreme Council was only able to function in Israel. And so it was disbanded entirely. We haven't had one since. But the yeshivas and the center of scholarship had now moved to Babylon. These two schools, the school of Naharda'a and Sura, became the um, continued, these two yeshivas continued for some 800 years, becoming the centers of study. Even as Jews moved around the world, they became the centers of Jewish scholarship. And any young Jew who wanted to study would go to one of these schools. And almost all rabbis around the world would come, would have come from these schools, would be sent if a community wanted a rabbi, they would go send a message to these schools to send them a rabbi. Um, and so all the rabbis and religious leadership around the world at the time were all coming from these two great yeshivas. There were constant wars um, throughout this period between Persians and um, different Persian empires and, um, and the Romans. There was um, almost constant war between the Persians and the Romans. Um, at different points, the wars reached Mesopotamia and reached the Jewish community in Babylon. Around the year 270, there were, the Romans invaded Mesopotamia and there was a lot of fighting around the Naharda region. And as a result of this fighting, mo- many Jews were taken captive, many Jews were killed, and the city of Naharda'a be- was completely destroyed in this war. Um, as a result, the yeshiva moved from Naharda'a to a nearby town called Pompedita. 
And from then on, the two great yeshivas were known as the yeshivas of Sura and Pumpedita, along with it, the, the seat of the Rej Galuta, of the exile arc, the head of the exile, also moved from Naharda'a, which had been destroyed, to the nearby town of Pumpedita. Pumpedita is in, where, in modern-day Fallujah. So, um, but Babylon remained the center of Jewish life, Jewish scholarship. It also was the center. Jews, as we mentioned, had farms all around Mesopotamia, um, especially around uh, the Nahardar region. Um, Jews were also traders um, and had set up trading posts um, in ascent- essentially stretching from um, China all the way through Afghanistan and Iran, all the way across um, through um, Syria and Turkey and all the way into Europe. Jews had many trading posts and communities and the center of it all was in Babylon throughout this period. So about the year 500, the leader of the school of Sura, um, or was at the time in uh, Matamachsia, which was a suburb of Sura, was Rav Ashi. And Rav Ashi began to work on bringing together all of Jewish scholarship, known scholarship at the time, into a huge work that was called the Talmud, also known as the Gemara, two names for the same work. Um, Both mean the same. It was a very comprehensive work. We're told that it took 60 years um, for the um, yeshivas and the scholars, for a large team of scholars, to put together the Talmud, 30 years to put together the first version of the Talmud, and then another 30 years to put together um, a second version of the Talmud, a updated version. And then they continued editing the Talmud for the next 50, 60 years. Scholars continued studying and editing the Talmud. So it was really about a 100-year project um, until we got the Talmud as we know it today, as we have it in our current form. So the Jewish community thrived. Um, it had, they had their difficult moments under Persian rule, but they mostly thrived under rules of different Persian empires um, until the Persian Empire came to a close around the year 650. Around 650, um, the Arabs um, that had built, the, the, um, that, the, uh, that had um, become now Muslims, that had built an empire in what had been Arabia, um, pushed northward into Mesopotamia and co- conquered the entire Persian Empire, um, creating um, a huge, what they called an Arab caliphate. The Rej Guluta at the time was um, a very colorful individual called Bustanai. Bustanai is really a subject of his own class, um, very fascinating individual. And um, Bustanai, we know, helped Caliph Omar, who was the son-in-law of Mohammed and the um, leader of the Muslims at the time. He helped him in his conquest of Mesopotamia. He was, remember, he was a Reish Galuta, he was a prince with his own militia, and he helped him with the conquest. And there were areas of Mesopotamia that were almost entirely Jewish. Uh, Bustanai himself was a fascinating figure. He, married, he was married to Dara, who was the daughter of King Kursai, the last king of Persia. She converted to Judaism and she married um, Bustanai. 
So Omar um, granted Bustanai the same privileges and the same autonomy that the Persians had always given the Rashi Geluta and the Jewish community. They instituted a um, special tax for and special rules um, that um, Islam uh, required for Jews and Christians to uh, be considered second-class citizens, had to pay special taxes, and there were special rules, but they were given autonomy and they were allowed to live, um, they were allowed to continue um, with their, uh, living with the Reish Gelota as their leader. The yeshivas continued to flourish. However, over time, um, things started to go bad for the Jewish people in uh, in. Um, Babylon under Arab rule and um, starting in the 700s um, Jews were gradually pushed off the lands um, due to laws limiting their land ownership or due to high taxes Jews were gradually pushed off the lands and moved to larger cities many Jews followed Arab conquerors across um, across um, the Middle East across North Africa, to Egypt, to Syria, to Egypt, to um, North Africa, and all the way to Spain. And um, a large, Jewish, large Jewish communities were built all across Egypt, North Africa, and Spain. Um, and Jews gradually moved away from Babylon as there was more and more persecution. Um, Jews being pushed off the land moved to larger cities and mostly moved to what became the new capital of the caliphate in Baghdad. And um, so Jews moved to Baghdad in large numbers, and soon Baghdad had a huge Jewish community. However, due to constant persecution over hundreds of years, um, Jews continued to move away from, um, uh, from Baghdad. Um, Jews were also um, had a hard time uh, financially because of high taxes um, and because of limits to Jewish occupations in Baghdad and in um, what had been Babylonia, and it really the um, the heyday of Jewish the Jewish community in Babylonia really came to a close around 1040, when the yeshivas were gradually dwindling um, due to persecution, and in 1040 the um, the caliph at the time um, had the Reish Geluta and the leader of the survive, this remaining yeshiva of Sura, Rav Hai Gaon, had them both killed and had the entire family of the Reish Geluta killed out. And um, as a result, the yeshiva of Sura was closed, closing the final great yeshiva of Babylon, and it ended the office of the Reish Geluta. So and the con community continued to decline, and as the community was declining around that period, the Jewish community in North Africa, in Spain, and at the same time in Europe, in Germany, and France, began to grow around this time, and they had um, very large Jewish communities that were gradually beginning to eclipse the Jewish community in, um, in Iraq. They built in or what had been Babylon. They built big yeshivas, in Spain, in Germany, and um, the center of Jewish scholarship had now moved westward from Babylon, where it had been for some 800 years, it now moved to Spain and to Germany. The Jewish community, though, still continued in Mesopotamia and in Baghdad um, for 
um, hundreds of years. We know that in the early 1200s, there were some 200,000 Jews estimated in Baghdad alone. Um, historians think that there were as many as a million Jews living in Mesopotamia uh, at this time. So Mesopotamia would have still been the largest Jewish community of its day, much larger than any other Jewish community in the world still, although it was somewhat impoverished and it was under and it was persecuted, but it still remained um, the, and it had lost its shine and lost its yeshivas and schools. Um, it um, still remained one of the largest Jewish communities. In the early 1200s, they were given a little more freedoms and Shmuel ben Eli reestablished a yeshiva in Babylon, um, creating a new center for study, but it didn't last very long. In 1258, um, Baghdad was captured by the Mongols. And after a long siege, the Mongols captured Baghdad and they murdered Baghdad. It was a large city. It was one of the largest cities in the world at the time. And um, it was also a great center of scholarship in general. There were big universities. The Arabs had been very into scholarship, into mathematics and science and medicine, um, astronomy. And um, they had great schools um, in North Africa, in Spain, Cordoba, um, and as well in Egypt, as well as in Baghdad. Um, and um, the, in 1258, the Mongols captured Baghdad and they killed out much of the city, including much of the Jewish community in Baghdad and nearby cities um, were killed out. After that, the remaining Jews continued to suffer greatly. There were a series of Mongol wars that culminated in another siege of Baghdad in 1393, um, led by a Mongol leader called Timur. And when Timur captured Baghdad in, nine, in 1393, he killed every single person in Baghdad at the time he killed after 1393, it's believed we know very little about the last, the end, ending years of the Jewish community of Baghdad. Historians think that the reason why we have so few records of the Jewish community, the last toward the end of the community in Babylon and Mesopotamia, is simply because there were very few survivors. Very few Jews survived the onslaught of the Mongols, um, and so as a result, by the early 1400s, there were almost no Jews left in um, in what would today be Iraq, in ancient Babylonia. The only Jewish communities that were left were Jews living in villages in the mountains that had that was hard to um, conquer, and um, Jews and non-Jews over there had been left somewhat alone. Um, the mountainous area today known as Kurdistan. Um, so there had been ancient Jewish villages that um, had stood and appeared to have been continuous throughout that period and were left alone. But Jews living along the Euphrates River, uh, further down the Euphrates River, in Baghdad and other towns and cities, um, mo almost all of them appeared to have, were uh, wiped out. Perhaps some of them fled to the mountains or to Persia. Um, after that, for the next 150 years or so, um, Baghdad was really, um, was, uh, re remained in ruins. 
Much of Iraq remained in ruins. There were very few people, very few towns, very little civilization in that whole area due to the many wars. Um, there very, very little remained. There was definitely no Jewish communities to speak of in the area. There may well have been individual Jews that lived in different towns or villages um, that survived, uh, but there was definitely no Jew strong Jewish presence in the area. In 1534, the newly created Ottoman Empire, which had captured what had once been Byzantine, had captured what today we know as Turkey, um, mm -hmm. Constantinople, which today is called Istanbul, and, um, had, and from there captured much of, um, much of the Middle East. Um, so in 1534, the Ottomans captured Baghdad and captured Mesopotamia. Um, at the time, it was just an uncivilized, um, uh, an unci uh, uncivilized area with no real organized community. However, the the um, the Ottomans reestablished Baghdad as a city and built cities and towns. At this time, Jews had just been exiled from, had been expelled from Spain. In 1492. Hundreds of thousands Jews were told by King Ferdinand of Spain to either convert to Christianity or leave. As a result, hundreds of thousands of Jews left Spain. Very few places would take them in. There weren't too many places. Some Jews were able to move to Italy. Um, some Jews, many Jews went to North Africa. But one place that took them in was the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire had just come into being a couple decades earlier, and the Ottomans, King um, Suleiman, invited Jews to come and settle to bring their knowledge. Jews at the time were great financiers, controlled much of the banking of Europe. They, um, controlling the bankrupt banking of Europe, they were able to put an embargo on Spain and um, collapse Spain's economy as a result. But uh, the, the um, Jews, uh, they invited Jews to come to the Ottoman Empire and they helped build the Ottoman Empire. And hundreds of thousands of Spanish Jews moved across the Ottoman Empire to um, what today is called Turkey, to Southern Europe and throughout the Middle East in uh, building communities in what today would be Turkey, Greece, um, Bulgaria, um, and, um, and then moving on, and then in what would be modern-day Syria, Israel, and also in Iraq, what today would be Iraq, and building a Jewish community in, um, in Baghdad and Iraq of Spanish, of Spartic Jews, of Spanish exiles. So very quickly, a large community formed um, in Baghdad, a large Jewish community in Baghdad, in Basra, which is a little south of Baghdad, and is a trading is a um, is a port city, and uh, large Jewish communities um, were built over there. And um, by the late 1700s, we know there were tens of thousands of Jews already living in um, Babylonia, in what had been Babylonia, um, in Baghdad and Basra. And they, they became, like Jews throughout the Ottoman Empire, they became very successful. They were successful traders, particularly Baghdadi Jews, as they were known. Jews from Baghdad became very, very successful traders. As Europeans moved eastward 
and began to colonize Asia. Um, Baghdadi Jews who had um, who were financiers and had good knowledge um, of financial instruments and uh, and finance uh, moved to different er different colonial areas um, to help develop and help finance colonial projects. Um, they moved to places like um, Bombay, Singapore, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Kobe, and all of these places um, had Jewish communities, mostly Baghdadi Jews. Uh, many great Jewish families became known as very wealthy families um, from these um, uh, from those that moved further that moved and developed the east. Perhaps most notable was the Sassoon family um, that um, developed the town of Bombay and later developed Hong Kong um, and other towns and cities. The ports of Bombay are still called Sassoon ports till today. The Sassoon family still, some of them live here in Los Angeles. Um, they're based in London today um, and still own interests all over the world. Mm. So um, those were Baghdadi families. Baghdad also, starting in the 1800s, became again a center of Jewish learning. Um, there, was, there was a large yeshiva there. Um, Jews from the east, um, Jews from Iran, Afghanistan, um, and um, e Jews from the east that had somewhat been cut off from the rest of the Jewish community in Europe over, and the Middle East over the years, now connected with the Baghdadi Jewish community. They would send, it was, because it was a close-by yeshiva, they would send their young scholars there, and um, soon the Baghdadi community had influence, religious influence, over Persian Jewry and over all Jews to their east, where all the rabbis, Persian rabbis, were being trained in Baghdad, were being trained in the yeshivas in Babylon once again. Um, they produced many important notable scholars. Perhaps the most famous of is was Rav Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, known better known as the Ben Ish Chai. After World War One, the British took over Iraq. They were given the mandate of Iraq um, and from the what what had been the Ottoman Empire. And they gave Iraqi Jews freedom, allowing Iraqi Jews to prosper. However, at the same time, anti-Semitism in Iraq grew dramatically. In 1941, um, during World War II, there was a Nazi-led coup in, um, against the British government in Iraq. Um, and as a result, during this coup, a pogrom broke out in Baghdad where hundreds of Jews were killed, thousands of Jews were injured. Um, essentially, the Arabs were allowed to do anything they wanted in the Jewish community. The Jewish community at the time was not well organized to defend itself, and uh, many, many Jews were killed in a much Jewish property was destroyed. The Iraqi Jews called it the Farhud, it became known as the Farhud, which is Arabic for pogrom. Um, things continued to deteriorate in Iraq for Iraqi Jews um, with further pogroms. Um, in 1948, when um, Israel became independent, um, Iraqi Arabs were um, vented um, on Jews in Baghdad um, and really throughout in Basra, Baghdad, throughout Iraq. Um, there were further pogroms. Jews in the mountains in Kurdistan, who had li lived there continuously for thousands of years, were thrown out of their homes with just the clothing on their back um, by the local Arab, by the local Kurds, Muslims, 
and um, Jews in Iraq faced um, big pogroms. Many of the Jewish leaders were arrested, um, tried, and killed um, for um, aiding the Zionist enemy. And as a result, many Jews wanted to leave. In 1951, the Iraqi government finally gave permission for the Jews to leave. And in a huge um, operation known as Mifza Ezra Nehemia, the Ezra Nehemia operation in 1951-1952, some 140,000 Iraqi Jews were airlifted to Israel. Following that, there were very few, only a couple thousand Jews left in Iraq. Uh, Most of them fled after the Six-Day War when there were further pogroms against the few Jews that remained. Um, And with that, um, by the early 1970s, there was no longer any official Jewish community in Iraq. Um, Today, there are a small scattered number of Jews that still remain in Iraq, but with no real organized Jewish community. Yet today, there are also tens of thousands of Jews of Iraqi descent, um, hundreds of thousands of Jews of Iraqi descent in Israel and um, around the world. um, There are the community continues. So we could say the Babylonian Jewish community, which was one of the largest, one of the longest lasting communities in our history. Um, It's really a story like the story of all of our Jewish history of the circle of persecution and freedoms and success. And then we went back to persecution and back to freedom of success. But perhaps the most notable thing is that we remain here at the end to tell the tale. Well, there's still killing each other over there. We're over here sitting and telling the tale of Iraqi Jewry. We're here studying the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud that was created over there in Surah. We are the, um, we are telling, studying, um, studying from their work and we have their descendants, their children and grandchildren of Iraqi Jews living among us. And we continue. And as a people, that's something that we've continued Throughout the years, throughout uh, over 3,000 years, despite persecution, we've managed to survive it and thrive and continue going. And perhaps the greatest testament is while they're killing each other there, we have 90,000 people gathering at MetLife Stadium to celebrate the study of the Babylonian Talmud. So... So uh, that's the story of our Babylonian jury. Um, I want to